0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Our uh, our new series is Tyson Pastor Tyson shared is Come and Worship, and the title of today's message is Lift Your Hands. Lifting your hands is something I know some people in this room do not do, but by the end of today, I think you're going to be feeling compelled, maybe even convicted, about why you may not want to lift your hands. Um, as we approach Christmas, of course, come and worship, referencing a great uh, old Christmas carol, Christmas hymn. Uh, but, but an important part of what we do as worshipers of God is posture. And we don't think of it very often, but, but posture in any conversation says something, doesn't it? Like if you and I are talking and I stand there with my arms crossed... Some of you who have taken maybe uh, intro to counseling course or some basic psychology courses in college, what, what does that mean when someone's got their arms crossed? It's a closed stance, right? That means they're not really receptive to what you're saying. And, and I just want to point out that would it be any difference if we're having a conversation with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, with our Heavenly Father, if our posture is closed as He speaks to us, what, what might He think of that? Now, I know that God is bigger than our posture, and he doesn't care, yet all through scripture, you will note that posture is recorded. We bow down, we lift our hands, we cry out, we prostrate ourselves. Posture cannot be ignored in the context of our worship of the one who saved us. And so the title of today's message, as I said already, is Lift Your Hands. In Matthew 2, verse 2, New Living Translation, it picks up the story of what we traditionally say, the three wise men. Now, of course, we don't know how many there really were. It could have been ten. It could have been two. We know it was more than one. And we know they specifically brought three gifts which were intended for something. Now, let's just read together. Matthew 2, verse 2 says, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. These were supposedly wise men, rich, developed, maybe from a better part of the world than Bethlehem, which wasn't hard to do if you're reading the context of scripture. They even said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's kind of like some of you think about where I live, Grovedale. Can anything good come out of Grovedale? Well, maybe. You should try our pork. It's shameless i know listen these wise men came to everyone say it worship let's try that again the wise men came to worship thank you see they they came they traveled from afar on camels donkeys whatever a mercury sedan not for what they could get from god now i know that i know that some of you may already be aware of this but they did not travel from their home to see what Jesus would do for them. They really did it. Now, they didn't know what Jesus, that Jesus would absolutely do for them, but in spite of their ignorance, they simply came to worship Him. They did not know what God would do for them. They could not have, they could not have imagined what that little baby Jesus was going to do for them in this world. But they came to worship. The problem with worship in this day and age, it often puts us at the center. We just corrected something in our our ministry here as a worship team recently. And not corrected, maybe that's too strong of a word, but we reminded each other of where the focus really is in worship. You see, you don't come to church to uh, watch the worship team. The worship team shows up at church to help you worship God. You don't come to, to spectate to church. and uh, You might be here as a spectator and I want to say welcome and uh, you won't be spectating for long. That's all there is to it. If, if you want to stay a spectator, you go to a hockey game. Because uh, they won't let you on the ice there. But here, oh, we'll put anybody on the ice. Doesn't matter how good or bad you are, there is ice time for you. You won't be benched. Well, unless you tick me off and then. Just kidding. So worship is not about us being at the center. Worship is about who? Worship is about Jesus, of course, being at the center. But we have a problem. Sometimes we treat God like a cosmic vending machine, don't we? Lord, what can you do for me today? I'm going to put in my toonie or those annoying hotel room ones, $1.75. Then you got one quarter left. What are you supposed to do with one quarter these days? It's only good for parking meters. That's it. And even some places, a quarter's not enough. But it, it, we, we treat God like he's just existing to do things for us. When the reality of scripture says that we were created as his workmanship for good works in Christ Jesus. Which God predestined or God prepared beforehand. I want you to know that I think in our church we got great worship. And I actually think that God, God likes the worship in this church. Because he comes. He shows up. And we can feel him and we know him. We're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about, I'm going to try to keep it to uh, uh, four topical postures of worship. Um, and uh, the first one of these, of course, being lift your hands. So uh, uh, Tim Hawkins, if you anybody know Tim Hawkins, comedian, very funny guy, writes music. I mean, you know, in another life, I would have liked to have been Tim Hawkins. Um, but I'm not, so... I, I try sometimes, but he he describes the uh, raising of hands in the church, and there's different styles of hand raisers in the church, aren't there? I think sometimes when it comes to worship, we get so entangled in our approach to Sunday morning or whatever time it is we're going to come together to worship, that we forget that the expressions of worship are in response to an amazing story. And that amazing story is the process of salvation in your life, in my life. In King David's life, king, king David in his day, even before he was a king, was aware of the salvation. What he would have said is the salvation of the Lord. Before Jesus ever came, before he had any knowledge, David had no knowledge of what would happen one day other than what the Holy Spirit at that time would have been doing in his heart. In Psalm 63.1 he writes this, O God, you are my God, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, I don't know if you understand this, but isn't that the story of your life? Isn't this the story of our life? And maybe it's not quite there, but can I just suggest that maybe you need a little alteration made to your heart if this isn't your story. Because of the exceeding and great loving kindness of who God is. To us, in us, in our world, we ought to be offering thanks and praise and gratitude, singing with joy, lifting our hands because of what he's done. See, I don't believe it's really truly possible for any person to really truly experience God's grace and goodness and not show gratitude. Right? Exactly. I love, I love that sarcastic, mildly cynical, right? Such a good saying this day. Paul, the Apostle Paul was giving Timothy uh, some instructions to help with worship in the New Testament church, the early church. And I just want you to remember that it wasn't that long ago that Paul absolutely hated Christians. <laughs> like there, there was a time when he was literally killing Christians for fun, for sport, right? I know. So, totally. Totally. But this is what Paul wrote after he had walked through the process of sanctification by the blood of Jesus. And, and he said, this is, the, the, Paul the Christian killer becomes Paul the pastor. In 1 Timothy 2, 1, 8 he's coaching Timothy, a young pastor, up and coming, successful church. And, and this is what he writes, 1 Timothy 2, 1-8. First of all... Then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be be made on behalf of all men, for the kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, this is the most important word in this little bit of phrasing in Scripture. Therefore. Everyone say, therefore. What therefore means, so because of everything I just said, here's my main point, right? That's what therefore means right here. So for all of these reasons, therefore, I want the men, everyone say the men. men. The men in every pl- place to pray. Everyone say to pray. I pray. Lifting up holy hands. Say holy hands. Holy hands. I'm not going to make you say lifting it because some of you are freaked out. Without wrath and dissension. Why lift hands? But why specifically did The Apostle Paul, at the unction of the Holy Spirit, write, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands. Now, gentlemen in this church right now, wherever you're at with Jesus, you need to hear me. Isn't it because I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands? Because of all these things. Isn't it because God wants us as men to set the standard for worship? Isn't it because, as men, God wants us to set the standard for prayer? Isn't it because God actually wants us as men in His kingdom, in the church, in this world, in our families, to set the standard for passion? I fear that if we continue on our course, our families and even our church could become less and less passionate. If every man, everywhere doesn't stand and lift holy hands. Why should we lift our hands? Well, other than the fact that God said to, I have a few more things for us. If you read James 4.8, I'm not going to share the whole context with you today, but uh, James 4.8 reminds us, I'm just going to say it this way, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, in that area, it reminds us of this. Quit thinking you're so cool. Quit thinking you've got it all together. Let me make it simple for you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It, it talks about how you should cast off all your self-imposed righteousness and all the things that you think you've done well and all the things that you might think are your qualifiers for greatness and success in God's kingdom, and it just says simply this. Just draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. You know, when your children come to you with hands raised, da-da, not right? I love it. I, uh, a little, I think I see her right there, Leah and... And Eric's a girl. I love her. She's walking around. She's a good walker. She's she's getting brave in our church, so she's starting to wave at people, right? Does anybody ever turn away from a little kid that raises their hands? Right? Yeah, what's wrong with you? I mean, when they get older and they're like 12 and they want you to pack them in from the car, Daddy, pick me up. No, no, no. No, you weigh 80 pounds. You got to walk. But when the children are little, we don't. Turn away from a child who's trying to draw near, and why would our heavenly Father turn away if we're trying to draw near? Draw near, but but how do we know someone's trying to draw near? How do we know a child is drawing near? Because their hands are up. Because their hands are up. Why wouldn't that be the posture of someone who loves Jesus? I can't think of a good enough reason why that wouldn't be our posture. Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Stop thinking, you're too good for that. Why lift our hands? Well, lifting our hands is I guess I can use the word indicative just because it sounds smart right now an indicative of offerings of praise and worship. It indicates that we are offering something, right? Psalm one forty one verses one and two in the NASB. This is what it says: "O Lord, I call upon you; hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call on you. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. And deliver, deliver hand, the lift of my hands What was David's posture? David's posture is what I'm calling on you, God. God, you need to come quick and save me. God, please hear what I'm saying. And God, I hope that my prayers are coming up like incense, like something that smells good to you. But Lord, most of all, if nothing else, let what I am saying by the raising of my hands be an offering to you. If nothing else, Lord, take what I have, as worthless as it might be, and meet me here. It's an offering of praise and worship to lift our hands. Why should I lift my hands? The lifting of our hands indicates battle, but it also indicates victory. Right? Nobody goes into battle like this. Have you ever been in a fight? You ever been back in, in school? Maybe you confronted a bully. Who walked up to the bully? Just... If you did that, you got a black eye. He punched you right in your face. Why? Because your hands weren't up. Any good coach will teach you, get your hands up, get your hands up, get your hands up. And we are called to be a people of spiritual warfare, not physical warfare. In fact, the Bible goes on to tell us and remind us that we are not involved in physical warfare as the sons and daughters of God, but spiritual warfare, making war against powers and principalities in heavenly places. Our armor, our our weapons of that warfare are spiritual in nature. And they are built and made and designed by God for the pulling down of those strongholds. Our protection is not physical protection, but spiritual protection. Because we worship a God whose spirit, and everything we do must be done in spirit and in truth. And so in spirit and in truth, we need to understand and adapt a thinking, a doctrine, that allows us to do something as simple as posture correctly in the presence of God. I'm not saying you're unsaved if you won't raise your hands. But I am saying, and and saying this in love, that there is something amiss if we won't. If we won't. Everything I do for Jesus involves an act of my will. And 99.9%, I want you to hear this, it involves me crucifying myself. It involves me bending my will to what he wants. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. And I got to tell you, I believe with all my heart in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was kneeling and praying those words, that his hands, his posture was one of lifted hands. Whatever style Jesus might have been into high five father, you're number one father, it doesn't matter, there's a great example of lifting hands in battle found in the book of Exodus and some of you who are Sunday school kids from way back have probably seen this in final graph, which is pretty cool, I think final graph is about to make a comeback digital age, you know, it's cool and everything, but people are wanting to go old school with everything. And maybe the day's coming when we'll probably have digital flannel graph. It's like we take the most awesome technology in the world to duplicate the simplest thing that has ever been done, sticking paper to fabric. Uh, But anyways, in Exodus chapter 17, 11 through 13, this is the story of Moses as he was commanding the people of Israel, led by Joshua, to battle against the Amalekites, And in Exodus 17, 11 to 13, this is what it says. So it came about when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy because he'd been holding them up for a long time. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were, everyone say steady. Steady Steady what? Steadily raised. Steadily raised until the sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. You gotta understand what was happening here was Israelite was whooping butt. They were winning, hands down, but when they got to the end of daylight, and they realized that the enemy was going to run away and hide, and they weren't gonna be able to completely you know, deal with this threat. And so he heard from God, and as long as he held his hands up, stayed light outside. As long as he held his hands up, Israel could keep on fighting the good fight. But when his hands got heavy, like sometimes ours do in worship, burning so heavy, I feel like I'm holding weights in my hands. Israel began to not do so well. So Aaron and Herod came and sat him down on a rock and lifted his hands. See, I don't mind if you sit down in church if your hands are raised. Worked for Moses it work for you too. I want, I want us to understand as a church, posture means something. Sometimes standing in the congregation needs to mean something. Sometimes sitting in reverence or awe means something. Sometimes kneeling needs to mean something. Sometimes raising your hands is the thing you need to do, you must do. Lifting hands, lifted hands are amazing to me because they actually mean so much. I'm going to invite the worship team to start coming back close enough. I know some of you are surprised because this is almost short today. Almost. (laughs) The lifted hands are amazing. we lifted. Here's just some of the things that lifted hands mean. Check this out. Lifted hands mean victory, right? I mean, if the Edmonton Oilers ever win the Stanley Cup again, you will see me with hands raised. Yes. so depressing sometimes right now. Now, what's interesting, though, is... Lifted hands also mean what? A victory, but also surrender. I surrender. Don't shoot. I give up my rights. I surrender. Lifted hands mean battle. Keep your guard up. Get your hands up. Protect your face. used you should tell Annika that when she was little. She'd ride her bike. She'd run. And like three times in a month or something like that, she fell and she split her chin wide open. And we're like, sweetheart, you know, you're a pretty girl. Why don't you put your hands out in front of your face, so you quit marking your face up. And she said, because, Daddy, it really hurts my hands. (laughs) She's just little, like three. You know, what did I tell her? Get your hands up. Put your hands up. Protect your face. Putting your hands up might mean, come to me. Come. Come to me. It might mean, give me. It might mean, save me. It might mean, God, I need you to touch me. I need you to heal me. When Bartimaeus was sitting on the roadside and he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me, he wasn't, his hands weren't in his robe or pockets. What does what, what a blind man who needs to see by the hand of God do? raised his hand, and Jesus touched him. Sometimes a raised hand can mean, just bless me. Just bless me. And oftentimes when I raise my hand, the prayer and the words of my heart are, God, you just do whatever you want to do with me. My will is subject to yours. And you know, lifted hands can actually mean a lot more than that. Because lifted hands as a posture is simply an expression of what's going on in your heart. When we invite people to come and worship Jesus in this season, we're inviting them to come and worship because of who he is. But we know on the other side of this page, on the next page over of their life, once they meet Jesus, is that Jesus is about to do everything for them. That's why we come to worship. That's why we raise our hands. That's why we sing for joy. That's why. We're going to say this a lot over the next few weeks. Some of you don't like music that much. And I just want you to know, by the Spirit of God today, that you're going to hate heaven. You're going to, I don't like singing. looks like you're taking a poop. Heaven is a place of singing. So you better learn the song of Moses. Because the Bible says we're all going to get together and sing the song of Moses. I don't know what key it is. I just trust that by the grace of God on the day I get to heaven, I'm going to know it. But I am going to sing it and my hands will be raised. Some of you are uncomfortable in church to lift your hands in the congregation. But I know your secret. I know that some of you listen to Taylor Swift in your car. I know that some of you, even worse, listen to Timberlake and Bieber. And your hands are doing this, and you're air drumming, and you're shaking. I know some of you go to hockey games and have no problem throwing your hands in the air. Maybe some of you be straight clubbing. You put your hands in the air and you wave them like you just don't care. You see, it's funny to me that we can do all these things in expressions of gratitude, love, and thanks for the world, for idols. When we come into the presence of God, suddenly our hands are glued to our hips. You might be pretty fly for a white guy. But if you're not able to raise your hands, come on. You can raise your hands. You can raise your hands. You can lift up Jesus. You can exalt His name. You can place Him higher. You can reach out for Him because you're in need. You can bless Him with your hands. The good news as we approach approach Christmas this year is if you have a heart problem, if you're just, oh, Pastor Chad, I don't want to. That God can touch your heart. He can He can minister to you. He can unlock that inhibition that is holding you back and release you to feel free. Some of you still don't want it. And I personally can't beat you into it, although I'd like to. I just can't because you're tougher than me. But you know what? My friend, the Holy Spirit, He's the one who wants to do the work. He's the one who wants to free you. He's the one who wants you to be able to posture and express in a way that pleases God's heart. So let your hands go up in praise. Let your hands go up in worship. Let your hands go up in prayer. Let your hands be raised in spiritual warfare. Let your hands be raised in surrender. Let your hands be raised in in the sense of gratitude for the forgiveness that He's given you. Let your hands be raised in everything. I want men everywhere to lift holy hands and I've given you the why. But the biggest why that I could think of as I was finishing up this morning, the verse Psalm 48.1 pops into my head. And it says this, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is great, and He, deserve, he deserves to be praised with greatness. And the offering of our hands and the offering of our voices, our lips, the offering of our hearts expressed through singing and shouting and words of appreciation for what he's done are an appropriate offering for him. We're going to close the service almost like we do every Sunday. And I just want you to know that if you would like prayer for something in your life this morning, if you need healing, if you need God to to touch you in some way, If you need God to adjust your perspective on posture and how that should look in the house of God because you don't like other people raising their hands, you know what? Right now today, God can reach down. and He can bless you. And he can bring some things into alignment. You might say, none of this makes any sense to me. Well, the Holy Spirit came to guide you into all truth. So right now in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit can in fact guide you into truth if you can just open your posture to hear from God. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.